All right. Good evening. How are you guys doing, West Virginia? Okay. It's my privilege to speak to you again tonight. I'm kind of a rover, so I'm going to make some way on the stage. All right. It's my privilege to speak to you again tonight. And so I'm going to start off with a prayer. Lord God, would you come and anoint me to be a minister of your gospel? I pray that I would decrease and you would increase, Spirit of God. Fill me up one more time. Help me. Amen. I took a page out of John Koshell's playbook, and you see that in your seats I have a prayer card. And the reason I have a prayer card is because I need your prayers and biblically I covet your prayers because some people love me and some people hate me. And so I need your prayers to keep the people that hate me from finding my emails and from finding out where I live. And so, and you'll soon see why because I'm going to uh, talk tonight about a very powerful subject that has, has been very powerful in my own life, and that is religious hypocrisy. I'm going to talk to you, and everyone's like, oh great, am I in the right place? Yes, you are in the right place. And so I'm going to gauge from you guys how spicy do you want it, because I like chicken wings, but I also understand not everybody likes the same kind of wings that I like, and I think right next door is the place, right? It's pretty close. And there's like a ghost chili, bacon, habanero, death, fiery sauce, right? And I understand not everybody can have that sauce. And, you know, like my wife, the beautiful woman on the prayer card whose name is Beth, when she starts sweating on the mild sauce. And so, and so it's, uh, if I bring a mango habanero home, that is a problem. And so I understand. So I'm just going to gauge it from you guys. How spicy do you want me to be tonight? Someone just said sweat. <laughs> sweat. That's a new level. <laughs> okay, what's the number? What's the number? You can't just say 10. You, seven? This guy. Okay, raise your hand if you want five. Like you just want the medium heat. Raise your hand if you want the heat. All right, now, now you're raising your hand now, but when you're snotting in a minute, okay. Okay, you guys want the heat, that's fine. Now remember, you asked for it. So we're going to go to where the heat is in the Gospels. You're in the middle of a Jesus series where you've been learning about the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And what an incredible study in this time of your life. I know in my, in, when I was your age, this was my most powerful, passionate study was fine. Oh, there's people. Hi, people. How are y'all? It's good to see you guys. This is, a this is a great place you have here. And I remember when I was your age learning who Jesus was, it was the most transformative, most powerful, most influential thing in my entire life was learning who Jesus of Nazareth was. How many of you maybe came to the Jesus exhibit today? Okay. And maybe that was a little spicier than normal, right? You're like, I'm a church kid. This is new. Have you had a moment to talk about Jesus Christ? 
that's okay. You know, by the end of this Chi Alpha experience, you're going to be like, church is tonight, 7 o'clock. All right, amen? Okay. Okay. You ready for a story? So there I was. I was in Charles and Katie's bedroom. And I was spending the night. It was my first time in Morgantown, West Virginia. I was coming there as a missionary of God. I was fired up. I was excited. Here I am, traveling minister of the gospel. I have my Bible. I have my books and my bag and my laptop and my sermons ready. And I slept. And I sleep hard, like too hard. Like as in if there's a robber, I'm already robbed. Like there's no waking me up. And so I, I, I'm asleep. I've, I've been ministering. I'm tired. And, but I put these big 5.75 and 6.25 Coke bottle babies on the ground. And, and then I go to sleep. And I, and, I, and I wake up in the morning, but I turn ever so slightly. And I, I understand that I am a big man. My father was an offensive lineman. I was a defensive lineman. I have never worn a medium t-shirt in my entire life. So I understand that. But when I turned over in the bed, centrifugal force and mass and velocity cascaded me down and I did a stone cold Steve Austin elbow slam into these babies and I broke them into three separate pieces and this was at the start of my preaching time with you guys and so and, and then the, I woke I was like this it, it was like this huge crash it's literally 5 30 in the morning and I'm like oh god oh oh god and I'm trying to find the pieces of my glasses and I'm trying to put the lenses in my eyes so I can see because I'm literally blind without them. Have you ever been blind? Has there ever been a time when you couldn't see? You're pretty desperate when you're blind. In fact, you have to rely on other people. Have you ever been that way? You ever been without your contacts or your lenses? You ever been without your glasses? It's a pretty desperate condition. And we are going to look at what the Bible talks about regarding being spiritually blind. Now I'm going to warn you because you've probably never heard a sermon on this section of the gospel. This is going to be what we call Matthew chapter 23. Go ahead and put a note marker. That's where we're going. And it is the scariest section in the New Testament. This is like, Jesus said that? Oh my goodness. You probably never heard a sermon on it. There's probably not been a sermon in this church on it in a very long time. This is where Jesus starts to throw punches. Not literally, but with his words. This is the red hot words of Jesus. This is the ghost habanero. Are you guys ready? Now remember, you asked for it, and some of y'all are like, I don't know anymore. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Okay, we just, it's a long chapter, so I'm not going to ask you to stand with me in reading the word. But what I am going to ask you is right now that you would pray a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, open my eyes.
background here before we get in verse 1 of chapter 23. Jesus' ministry had increased in power and influence. What started in Galilee has now spread to all of the cities. Jesus is the most popular figure in the history of the ancient world. Literally hundreds if not thousands of people are flocking to him at this time. He's rivaling all the ancient rulers. His name is on the tips of every, every person. He's literally all the, all the, all of the, the, the hubbub and the, you know, he would be the hashtag of that day. He's the Snapchat. He's what everybody is talking about and focused on. It says that the fame of Jesus spread throughout all of the cities. There's one time when Jesus is speaking and literally they start breaking through the roofs to get to Jesus of Nazareth. Now that's pretty popular. You know, that's never happened to me, but that would be pretty cool. Wouldn't you remember that? If you were speaking and literally people are you know, breaking through the shingles to get to you. And this is what was happening. It says that the fame of Jesus was spreading and the religious leaders began to get jealous. Religious leaders always get jealous when other ministries begin to grow. And yet, Jesus in his humility, all he wants to do is help people and heal people. In the Acts of the Apostles, it says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went around doing good, healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. Did you catch that? That if Jesus was going to do anything for you, it would be good. That he wants to do a good thing for you. That he is for your good. And so that's the background. Jesus is as popular. He's gaining influence and authority in all of Galilee and all of Jerusalem. And the religious leaders start to get jealous. And they start to entrap him. And they try, and they try to trick him over and over again. They try to tr set up these traps. And they try to you know, convince the crowds that he's a charlatan. Or even worse, that he does the miracles by the power of the enemy. And, and that they try to bring the Romans in to try to trap him as a plot against the Romans. And amidst all of this, Jesus, he navigates through it with all wisdom and all authority. And he never compromises. He still stands for truth and he never compromises through any of his traps. And we get to this point and this is the pinnacle. Jesus goes up to the temple. Now if you are a student of prophecy, you know that this is what Malachi had prophesied. That the Lord will come quickly unto his temple. And that when he comes, it will be as like a refiner's fire. You're like, what does that mean? It takes a lot of work and a lot of heat to get that James, Ace, James Avery bracelet around your neck, ladies. A refiner's fire is basically a, the purifying of silver. It's the purging. It's the heat. It's just nothing but heat and process and work and toil to bring about something beautiful. That is what the refiner's fire is. And in Malachi, the prophet, hundreds of years in advance, prophesied that the Lord would come quickly to his temple and he would be like a refiner's fire. And so Jesus comes to the temple and it's like Jerry Springer. It goes crazy. 
It is chaos. The religious people are losing their minds. Jesus, in the middle of this temple, in the middle of these religious festivals, he stands up and he shouts with a loud voice, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. That was a ceremony that was commemorating when Moses provided water in the wilderness by the the supernatural power of God. So Jesus is telling everybody, I am greater than Moses. That what God did through Moses, he could now do through me. It would have been a cricket, cricket moment. It would have drove the religious leaders crazy. So here we go. We're going to read it. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and his disciples saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that you observe and do. But do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move one finger to help. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at the feasts and the best places in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and set called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on the earth your father, for you have one father who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for you have one teacher, that is Christ. But he who is greatest among you, let him be your servant. And he whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And this is where it starts to get crazy. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, and you neither go in there yourselves, nor do you allow those to enter in to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you shall receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. For you travel over land and sea to win one convert. And when he is one, you make him twice the son of hell as you are. Hello. Starting to sweat, huh? Woe to you, blind guides. For you say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated to perform it. Fools and blind, for what is greater, the gold or the temple, or that which sanctifies the gold? And whosoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gift on the altar of that which sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and all the things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe on your spices, on your mint and on your anise and your cumin, and, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy. These you have ought to done and leave the others undone. Blind guides who strain a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you cleanse the outside of the cup, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first cleanse the inside of the cup in the dish, and then the outside may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which inwardly appear beautiful, and outwardly they're, in, they're, they're beautiful, but inwardly they're full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also appear righteous before men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. And you say, if we would have lived in that day, we have not been partakers of the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of the, those who mur murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your full guilt. And serpents, broods of vipers, how shall you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. And some of them you will scourge in the synagogues and persecute from city to city. Then on you may come all of the righteous blood shed upon the earth. From the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Beconiah, who you murdered between temple and altar. Assuredly, I say to you that all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you like a children gathers his hens, like a chick like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See that your house is left unto you desolate. For I say to you that you will see me no more until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad that's over. That's some heat, isn't it? Raise your hand if you ever heard a sermon on that one. Didn't think so. That one doesn't bring the money in. But it's the words of Jesus. The Bible says that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And if you had to be honest with yourself in America, you might have had a double portion of grace and maybe sprinkled the truth. No, really? Yes, we have. But the scriptures say this, that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Did you catch that? Full grace, full truth. Not either or, both and. Okay. Let's start breaking it down. Verse 3, the heart of all religious hypocrisy. They say... 
and do not do. This was the heart of the Pharisees. They say and do not do. It is better for you not to say if you're not going to do. Did you catch that? It is better for you to be quiet if you're not going to live this Christian life out. Because if we go out on these streets, how many people and how many people in this room have been hurt and has the gospel been tarnished in your eyes by the life of people saying but not doing? I believe we all can bear witness to this. Verse 4, these religious leaders, they put heavy burdens on people, but they didn't lift one finger to help them. The heart of God is always to help people. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke is a rabbi's interpretation of Torah. Basically, if I was Rabbi Shurowitz or Rabbi Volkmer, if that's me, and you're like, Rabbi, can we play disc golf on the Sabbath? And I would say, okay. And I would permit you to do that. I would say you are loosed to do that. And if I said, no, you're not allowed to play disc golf on the Sabbath, I would say you're bound. You're not allowed to do that. Is anyone putting it together? Matthew in the 18th chapter, Jesus says to his apostles, whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound. Whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed. What a rabbi bound and what a rabbi loosed is his interpretation of Torah. It's his yoke. So Jesus is saying regarding the law of God, regarding the great commandments of the scriptures, is that it, in his way, it's easy. That there's a liberty there. Love God and love your neighbor as himself, as, your, as yourself. That treat your neighbor like the way that you would want to be treated. This is Jesus' interpretation of the law. This is Jesus' yoke. Verse 5. You put these phylacteries on your arm. These were big leather straps that the Jews would put on on their right arm as symbols of their devotion and consecration to God coming straight out of the the law in Deuteronomy in the 6th chapter. You've heard this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul and your mind and your strength and you shall you've heard this before? This is the greatest commandment found in Matthew, the 22nd chapter. But Jesus is saying, do not do this outwardly to be demonstrated, but rather have this inward consecration to God. That there's no point in having outward demonstrations without inward devotions. That there's no point in having uh, uh, public ministry without inner ministry. That you should always have an intimate, vibrant, abiding relationship with the presence of God before you should have an outward public demonstration of your faith. That what God does in you, He wants to do through you. That everything should flow from your intimacy and and be, be careful of external devotion apart from inner love and trust. That the gospel flows through love and trust, not threat. And bribe. Verse 6. That you love the best places in the meeting house. 
like we all in our selfish hearts want. We want the place of prominence. We want to be recognized. We do. We count the likes. Ooh, I got this many likes. Whatever happens, do, do you ever really count the like? Like, you like it, but then the next day you're like, I need some more likes. You don't. Newsflash. You will spend in one year, everyone hold them up. Hold them up. We all got them. I just heard one go off. It was like, ew, me, me, I got a like. In one year, say one year. One year, year, I will look at this the same amount of time that I will sit in one of these seats for my whole life. That's the data right now. Did you hear what I said? In one year, in one year, your generation will spend that much screen time, and it's equal to the amount of time, amount of time that your generation will spend in church for your whole life. This generation is responsible for winning this generation to God. Verse 7. Jesus got mad at the religious leaders for they love titles. Please just call me Kyle. They love titles. Oh, how we love titles. Have you seen some of the names that people have? They're at the bottom of their email. It's like executive director of associate deans of the colleges of this and that. I'm like, I can't even know what you do, man. <laughs> you see that? We love titles. We love to have accolades. But Jesus forbids this. He says, call no man father. Why? Because you have one father, God. Call no man master, for you have one master, the Lord Christ. Call no man teacher, because the Holy Spirit will be your teacher and lead you into all truth. You see, what we're really doing with these titles is we're taking an authority that ultimately belongs to God alone. And in some way, we're trying to usurp him of his rightful place and authority. Call no man father. Call no man master. Call no man teacher. For God alone will be your father. God alone will be your master and teacher. Verse 11. The greatest among you, let him be a servant. If you're going to be a leader in Chi Alpha, you are going to serve your way to leadership. For Jesus says, I am one among you as one who serves. That there is no greater calling in the life of a Christian than a life of service. That if you are following Jesus Christ, you are following Him in to service. Verse 12, he who exalts himself will be humbled. He who exalts himself will be humbled. That humility is the mother of all Christian virtue. That pride goes before destruction. Do you know that humility is uniquely a Christian concept? There was not a word for it in the Greek. Apart from Christianity. That humility was brought primarily by the person of Jesus Christ into the world. Although he was equal with God. 
Although he was God, he humbled himself and and took the form of a servant and washed feet. That the infinite became an infant. Oh, the humility of God. He who humbles himself will be exalted. And then we move into, in verse 13, to the woes. Now, how many of you probably have heard a sermon on the Beatitudes? Blessed, blessed, blessed. Everybody's blessed. It's like your blessed life now. You've probably heard of this stuff. No one has probably ever heard a sermon on the woes. Jesus, you know, blessed, but woes. It's like, well, I don't know if that's good news. It is, in a sense. If you had cancer, would you want to know it? And that's the danger of religious hypocrisy is it grows like a cancer. It's never satisfied just with your attitude. It'll grow in your mind until it takes your worship, until it takes your intimacy, until it takes your generosity, until it takes your fellowship. Hypocrisy will grow and grow and grow. Until you're a shell of who you used to be. Woe to you, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, and you yourself do not go in. Those doors should always be open. Whomsoever will, let him come. And your small group should always be open. Open to people who are different from you, from different cultures, and from different tribes, and from different nations. I saw so many, both Muslim and Oriental believers are are people today. Do not shut up the kingdom of God from these people just because they're different from you. The second, verse 14, that you devour a widow's houses to say a prayer, that you're only in it for the money. And we're college students, so we can move along, but (laughs) I'm not going to take up an offering from you tonight. I'm not going to pass the buckets. And my support card is not, don't you dare support me with money because I don't need it. But I need your prayers because I'll probably get five or six bad emails from this sermon. So pray for me. (laughs) Verse, Verse 15, the third woe. You travel over land and sea to make one convert. And when you do, you make him twice the son of hell as you. We got to be very careful on mission trips. Jesus tells us this. Basically, you better have something to give somebody. That you better have the real Jesus. And it's very simple. You just All you have to do is love him. Love is the way out of all hypocrisy. We'll get to that in a second. Blind guides. Swearing by the temple and its goal. He goes on. Fools and blind. Then he goes on to say that you tithe on your spices. Like your paprika. You tithe on the the most insignificant things. Like it's like, oh, we have this much paprika and this much belongs to Jesus. And yet, he says, you do this ridiculous tithing thing, but you neglect the most important matters of the law. Mercy and judgment. Mercy and justice. That you... Yes, it's important to to honor God with our wealth. And yes, it's important to, to be obedient to the law. But the most important thing is for you to have a heart of mercy. And to you to walk in justice 
and in righteousness before God. Mercy and judgment. Then verse 25, and this is where it gets to the religious. You cleanse the outside of the cup, but the inside of cup is full with all greediness and self-indulgence. That there's so many people that see a side of you that appears beautiful, but you know who you are before God. Verse 27, he keeps going. Whitewashed tombs, outwardly beautiful, but inside, dead man's bones. Verse 28, that you commemorate the prophets and what they did, but in reality, you're just like the fathers who killed them. And Jesus asks this incredible question, serpents and brood of vipers, how shall you escape the condemnation of hell? And then, in one gospel, it says that Jesus began to weep. And you always have to wonder why God would cry. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you. Like a chicken gathers its chicks. But you would not have it. It's an incredible statement to see God crying in the Bible. That God could possibly have regret. It's very dangerous when the blind lead the blind. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark in the 10th chapter. Here comes the ranch dressing. It's over. It's over. Mark chapter 10. We're moving now from the spiritually blind to the physically blind. And from this story, we're going to pull very quickly the principles of discipleship that will help you as a college student in Morgantown. Excuse me while I turn there. Verse 46, we're going to read the story of blind Bartimaeus. Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's leaving Jericho to Jerusalem. He's going to die. This is the last healing that Jesus does. This is the calling of the last disciple. Now when they came to Jericho, as they went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great multitude, a great multitude... Blind Barnabas, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then they warned him, be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. 
So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be of called. Then they said to the blind man, Be of good cheer. He calls for you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, Rabboni, that I might receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Or in the King James, the way. Now let's quickly pull out some principles here. You notice in his blindness, there was a desperation. He was desperate. He understood. He had heard things about Jesus of Nazareth, but yet there was a desperation and he cried out. Is there a desperation in your life for the things of God or are you satisfied? Christians are always hungry for more of Jesus. They're always hungry for more of His Spirit. They're never satisfied. Because the more, we, the more we partake, the more we commune, the more time we spend with Jesus, the sweeter the presence gets, the sweeter our understanding gets, the greater our perception, and we just want more. I'm a Jesus junkie. I am. And then he cries out, have mercy on me. Have you ever done that? Have you ever asked Jesus for mercy? You remember the story of Peter when he saw Jesus, when he saw the miraculous power of the Son of God. Peter's only response was this. Have mercy on me, God, for I'm a sinful man. And then it says that he called out all the louder, Son of David! And then what do the people do? Shh! Stop! They still do that. If you start to call upon the name of Jesus in your life personally, there's going to be voices that are going to say, Shh! Stop! Don't! Be quiet! Stop that! And they might be from your parents or your closest friends. And you have to make a decision. Am I going to call out for Jesus louder? Or am I going to go with the crowd? Am I going to go with the stream? Only a living thing can go upstream. Only dead things go downstream. Then we learned that Jesus said, let him come to me. Jesus will call every single one of you. If he's not calling you now, he has called you already, and it's time for you to be obedient to the calling of Christ. For he is the one who calls us out of this world into the kingdom of his marvelous light. And this is what's crazy is that literally it says that, that blind Bartimaeus, he took off his cloak, he took off his jacket, and he threw it aside. And we think that doesn't mean anything. It's incredibly significant because Jesus, Jesus 
was walking by the way, but Bartimaeus was blind. And in this day and age, he would have received from the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish high court, a, a cloak that would have said that this man was a righteous alm. That to fulfill the 613 laws of Moses, you had to do righteous alm. You had to take care of the blind. It was your religious duty. So Bartimaeus is throwing his check away. He's giving away his financial security. He's putting his absolute trust and reliance in Jesus. The thing that provided for him, his provision, his security, he throws it away that he might see Jesus. And then he, Jesus asks him very pertinently, very directly, what do you want? It's the greatest question, I think, in the scriptures Jesus asks because the answer for that question for you is your de eternal destiny. What do you want? Because if you want God, you can have him. Asking it shall be given. Seeking you shall find. Knock and the door will be open from you. God's hands are always open to receive. His eyes are always looking for his children to come home. What do you want? And then it says in most of the translations that I might see you. No, the Greek literally says that I might look upon your face. See, that's one of the greatest things for a disciple is the face of Jesus. That that intimacy, that, that, that I want to see you, I want to see your face, that that's the heart cry of a disciple. And then... Through that faith, he was healed. The faith that says, I want to see the face of Jesus. I'm going to cry out in, my, in desperation. I'm going to cry out in mercy. I'm going to surrender my security. I'm going to lay everything aside. That I might see you, Rabbi. That I might look upon your face. It says that from this moment, he followed Jesus in the way. You see, Bartimaeus was the last disciple that Jesus called. There's not one time in the Bible a man is healed by Jesus and we have his name. So this is significant. History tells us that Bartimaeus was one of the elders of the early church. This is Jesus calling his last disciple. And we can see the principles of discipleship that are needed right now in 2018. Principles of desperation and mercy. Principles of going against the grain of the world. That we don't care if people tell us to be quiet. We're going to go after Jesus. We're going to look upon his faith and intimacy. We're going to have faith and be healed and behold and follow Jesus in the way. But Jesus... Asks a very simple question. What do you want? Would you stand with me? And if I could have the worship team to come forward. We're going to have a time of, of worship and introspection. And then we're going to have a time of both repentance and surrender.
Because in the first half of this sermon, I was, I, I was the bad cop. And I'm perhaps, maybe, the word of God uncovered a stone in your heart. And you were scared about what you saw under that stone. Your response is to be obedient to Jesus. Your response is to repent. That maybe outwardly everything looks right, but inwardly you know that it's full of selfishness and rebellion. And the scriptures say, if any man will hear my voice, do not harden your heart as in the days of rebellion. So very simply, we're going to have about a, a time of five minutes where we're going to invite you to come to the front and pray prayers of, of, of asking the Lord, Lord, is there anything in my heart that, that is not of you? Is there anything I need to surrender? Is there anything that I need to repent of? And then also, there are people that can hear me that you know that it is time. Just like as in Bar Bartimaeus, you, Bartimaeus surrendered and began to follow Jesus in the way that you are going to surrender and follow Jesus in the way, the way of discipleship. And how we express that is through repentance and water baptism. I believe we have a water baptismal tank. I believe it's being filled up. And in about five minutes, we're going to give you an opportunity to express your faith publicly and follow Jesus in the way. But would you pray with me as we have this time? Spirit of God, the, soul, the searcher of our souls, Lord, we ask you to have freedom to move in every heart and conscience that you would go through the corridors of our minds right now and that you would bring to light everything that has offended you and your, your holiness. Lord, look, don't let us be hypocrites. Lord, we don't want to be blind. We don't want to lead people astray. Lord, let us have a heart like Bartimaeus who follows you in the way.